0: This is the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan, where we interview local real estate investors and professionals to go over tips, tricks, and investing strategies to help you learn about the business and to enable you to achieve your financial goals. And now, welcome to the show. What's going on, everyone, and welcome to episode 238 of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. Today, we have William Morales. In this episode, we'll be talking about William's investing journey, how to get into seller finance deals, and how he got started even at a late age. William is the host of the Peer to Peer Real Estate Podcast, where he invites guests from different backgrounds to talk about the different trades in the real estate field. So if you want a better understanding of the different roles that support the real estate industry, then definitely check out his podcast. And if you're a new investor and you aren't sure about where you need to start, then you need to listen to this episode. And this real estate market is still incredibly hot. So if you're looking for a hard money loan for your fix and flip projects, or if you're looking for a 30 year fixed loan for rental properties with rates as low as 4%, you can contact me at Sean at everythingrei.com. That's S-E-A-N at everythingrei.com. Let me know that you're a podcast listener and I'll give you a discount on our processing fee. And now on to the show. William, thank you so much for being on our show today. Go ahead and introduce yourself and let us know who you are and tell us what you do.
1: Well, Sean, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, my name is Willie Morales. I live in New York City. I have a full time job. And I realized at the age of 55, which I was at that time, I'm 59 now, I realized that retirement was not going to get me anywhere. I would have to work another maybe 20, 25 years to like 75, 80. And that scared the hell out of me. Um, so I bought my first property in 2017, uh, September. Uh, it was, I had seen a video. About seller financing, and I, when I saw the video, I said, "That's what I want to do." I was all over the place, showing. I, I wanted to do fix and flip. I wanted to do wholesale. I wanted to do uh, uh, buy and hold. I think I wanted to do tax liens. And this is for almost eight to ten years. It's so many, so much passed, so much time passed that I just didn't know what to do. I, I was just all over the place. When I saw the seller financing uh, video it just clicked right then and there. I said, this is what I want to do. So I bought my first property in 2017 and the second one I bought in 2020, which we'll get into. But yeah, I still have a full-time job. The goal is to leave the job next year, sometime around this time, June, July. Um, So right now I'm backing off from the market because it's so high and you, my God, I mean, you know, the prices are just, it seems like it's going up every day. It seems like 2007, 2008, for those of you that might not know, it's like almost the same type of market where the prices are just going higher and higher. Uh, be, I just wanna to get to one more point. A friend of mine, she has a house here in New York City and she sold it to move to Florida to retire. She had 18 bids all over asking price. Now the key was one of them was willing to put down 20%. Everybody was really uh, was willing to do five to 10%. This one buyer says she'll do 20. So when I heard that and I started hearing more stories about the market, I figured, let me just slow down a little bit. Let me re-strategize, maybe look into other markets. And, uh, and hopefully, you know, when I finally pick another market, then I'm going to jump back in, which will be soon,
0: not later. Uh, I think it's still interesting because I feel the same way. Like in 2016, I got into real estate investing. We're buying a lot and the market went up. Right now, it is pretty scary to buy more properties. We are under contract for another property, but it's not in these like, major metros that people have heard about. We're trying to stay low-key and buy in these, prop- in these like, markets that no one knows about. Um, but I have heard the market is actually softening now. Like, we're getting less bids than before. People are yeah. no longer putting in non-contingent offers. They're probably putting in with some contingencies. And we might see a slowdown in the fall. Who knows? But yeah, time, I mean, It
1: depends who you yeah. talk to. Yeah. It, it, it might be a while, or it might be, like you said, it might be in the fall. I've heard predictions from late this year to early next year that we might see a, a correction.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about your first property. You, know, you saw that video about seller financing. Like, What did you do for that very first property?
1: Well, when I saw it and I, and I, uh, it was a guy, if you don't mind me mentioning his name is Mitch Steven and he had a book called the art of owner financing. And I definitely recommend that for your audience or anybody that's interested in. um Creative financing. Uh, so when I saw the video, I saw it like two or three times, and I heard about creative financing, but it, for some reason it just didn't click. I heard it from other investors, but for some reason this guy made it sound easier that I understood it. <laughs> you know. So this was it's a, this was in October November twenty sixteen. So the following year, 2017, I just started studying. I started looking at markets. I just, you know, tried to find a team. And in September of 2017, I called a realtor, Realtor.com, and I saw a property in, in Pittsburgh. I picked that market. I put fifty thousand and under. Uh, the zip code that I picked was one five two one zero. So your audience could look at that 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 zip code. And um, so I called the realtor. The property was twenty seven thousand. It was, I took a foreclosure and bank owned. Uh, I called the realtor and I said, listen, I like this property. It looks in good condition, you know, and they had like maybe 15 to 20 pictures, but it was on the market too, between 90 to hundred days. So I said, listen, I will buy the cash for $8,000. The realtor said, no, that's too low. The bank's going to say no, which they did. Uh, So I said, okay, at least, you know, I got off, off that, you know, that, uh, Tried. Did, yeah. Did I try? And I was nervous, but I figured what the hell. So anyway, and I explained to the realtor what I wanted to do. So anyway, two weeks later, the realtor calls me and says, Hey, the property still available. Is your price still stands? And I should have said no, Sean. I should have went down to 5,000, but I was so happy just to get something because up to that point, by the time I, I started in real estate being interested in 2007. So for 10 years, you know, I bought real estate stocks and things like that. But, uh, so I, I said, okay, again, I, I wired 8,000. Uh, so I told him I need a buyer. So he said, Oh, we have a list of that. I said, I'm looking for anyone under 700 between six fifty to 700. So within two weeks of me buying it, he found me a buyer, which that was luck. Usually, you know, it might take a while, it might take a month or so. And, um, so I bought the property for eight thousand and I put it back on the market for twenty seven thousand same price that the bank had it. I got ten percent from the tenant buyer uh really now buyer because he's in charge of everything and um and I found a loan servicing company um the uh the title company it was i think it was um recommended by the realtor and once that was done, the paperwork was easy, which is a, H- a HUD one statement. I got 10% down payment. I wasn't going to ask for a lot. And he's been paying me the gentleman that said I never met him. Uh, he went through a credit repair uh, company He because I was holding the mortgage. So basically that's what I'm doing. I'm I'm the bank. So every month I get three forty two oh seven dollars less $35 that the loan servicing company collects. So I'm... So I'm flow in 307, I think 07 per month. And, you know, for the coming September is four years. Now he could cash me out anytime he wants, but he hasn't. Um, but he's in charge of all the repairs, any maintenance, that's all him. I'm just like bank of America chase any of those guys. And, um, and it worked, you know, and I said, Oh my God, this actually does work. <laughs> Um, but I looked for properties under 50000 I looked in Pittsburgh. I looked at Kansas City. I looked in St. Louis. Uh, and then how I did my research was um, in Pittsburgh, I called a property manager and I asked him, hey, I'm looking to uh, invest in this area. I gave him the address. And I said, if I get it, would you manage it? And he said, yeah. So when I heard that, I think I called two property managers and, they, and I just Googled them. And when they both said, yeah, then I said, okay, then I might might be in a decent neighborhood. And that's where I'm pretty much I'm at right now uh, for my first property. It took 10 years because like I said, I was all over the place. You know, I I suggest to any audience or anybody that's listened to our show, you got to pick one niche and stick with it. Don't be like me, uh, shiny object syndrome. I was like that all over the place for 10 years.
0: At least took action. So that's cool. 10 years later. And I think for most people, again, I think the fear of potentially losing money is greater than the desire to be like financially free. So they're like, I don't want to do anything uh, and potentially lose something versus like try something new and then get some experience and then be able to go forward with that.
1: Yeah, once you get your first property, you know, it's then the second one becomes easier. And then the third and the fourth. Um, yes, I was. Listen, I, I'd be the first one to say I was, you know, scared as hell. To make that first leap. Like I said, I saw the video in November, October, November of 2016. It took me to September, almost a year later, because I wanted to buy that one more book. I wanted to get that one more sh- podcast. I wanted to uh, do more research. So much research you can do. You, sooner or later, you got to just have faith and pull the trigger.
0: Yeah. It's pretty cool that you mentioned Mitch Stevens too, because I've been on his podcast. He's been on my podcast. And I didn't realize he was so prolific in this like seller financing world. And you'll be learning yeah. from him.
1: And it was a friend of mine who sent me the video. Uh, cause she's more into wholesaling, but I guess, you know, we talked about, you know, seller financing, but when I saw Mitch Steven and I just kept on watching the video and I started watching a lot of his videos, I bought his book, the art of owner financing. And I'm like, oh wow, I get it where, you know, he has private lenders pretty much as my cash. Um, eventually, you know, when I get a couple of more properties and I feel comfortable that I says, Hey, listen, I have collateral here. If you lose this property, or, oh, oh, if you you know if you think I'm going to pay you, you you you're in first position. So that's what Mitch does. You know that's his forte and niche, where he has uh, uh, the person that's financing his property, the first lien position, and that means he, if anything anything happens, they take over the property.
0: Yep, yep. And why would you decide to go through this like seller financing route instead of just buying the property and holding it as long term rental?
1: You know, I, I I wanted to do that, but then I realized that. I, to be honest, I didn't have the 20% down. My credit was good, so I didn't have to worry about that. But I figured this, I wanted to own it outright. And that's, that was my, my niche. I wanted to do that. I wanted to own it outright. I didn't want to have, uh, you know, be beholden to the bank or anybody else. I'm not saying that I would never do uh, private money, but if I can avoid the bank for now, that's what I want to do. So I figured I, I'd rather own it. All I got to do is i the money that I get every month, I put away for taxes and insurance just in case um, and I thought about holding, I really did, but then I knew that if any repairs happen or any issues, then I'm responsible, even though I could get a property manager or a handyman. not to say that I won't do that in the future, but for now, I needed that safety net of having that property there and not having to worry about uh, maintenance issues or anybody calling me at one or two in the morning that, you know, their light bulb broke and I need someone to change it, you know? So that was my issue. And I said, this is, this is what I want to do. I wanted to definitely go uh, the creative financing route.
0: Yeah. I mean, seller financing isn't easy. I'm surprised you're able to figure all this out just by watching YouTube videos and to books and podcasts.
1: It took a while though, but as you know, like I said, Sean, it took almost a year, but it like, you're right. It's not easy because you're trying to convince a seller, you know, my second property, I try to convince the seller, like, Hey, I'll take care of everything. I'll pay you monthly, you know, just trust me. And that was that the second one was really hard because I had to come up with like a a credibility kit, you know, that people suggested. And that was hard to do because I'm thinking I just got one property. What kind of credibility I have, but I did have a good credit score. So I added that and I added also um, my 40, uh, where I work at, it's a 403, which is the same thing as a 401. So I added that and as you know, did I have that type of money in, uh, in, my, um, uh, in my possession just in case. So I had to show them that to the seller in uh, Florida. So, but yeah, yeah, this, like I said, this was a a long process. Like I said, it took a long time for me to pull the trigger, but it's just because of, you know, podcasts like yours or Mitch Stevens or books, I was able to pick it up pretty quick. And I just started just reading and reading and going online and looking for any type of seller financing videos
0: on YouTube. So let's talk about your second project. Like how did you get it? What were the terms in that one? And why did it take so long from your first deal to your second deal? Uh, well, I'll, t- I'll answer that one. That one, it was just it became lazy.
1: I just got lazy. I got complacent. You know, I think, oh, one deal is good. I'll work on another one down the road. And down the road was pretty much three years later, 2017 and 2020. Um, this one I found again. Uh, I'm sorry. This was a for sale by owner on Zillow. Uh, it was a property in Orlando. I'm trying to remember the, the area um so i gave him a call it was only on the market for like 30 35 days so i gave him a call because usually in, in zillow most owners put their phone number on on in the, uh in the ad so i gave him a call and i said hi my name is William morales you know i'm an investor can you tell me more about the property and he said and i kind of hear heard in his voice that he was uh, motivated so he lived in Florida. He wanted to move to Georgia and be close with his family. He was an older gentleman, probably maybe a little a couple of years older than me. And if I remember correctly, I think he was retired. So anyway, so he wanted like two seventy. I think it was two seventy five for the property. And I said, listen, I'm willing to give you the price if you let me do terms. He didn't know what term was, so I explained it to him. It's just like layaway, delayed cash sale. Again, he didn't get it. So I said, listen, if I send you something through email, would that work? And he goes, sure. So I sent them pretty much what I gathered through my studies, uh, the benefits for a seller, you know, consistent cash flow, no repairs uh, done, uh, maintenance issues that I take care of. If the house gets damaged, I pay for it. You know, I gave him all insurances, no fees, no commissions. Um, After a few days, he decided to go for it. So it was a three-year term. Where I'm paying him, I think sixteen hundred dollars a month for three years. And I like I said, I take care of all the repairs, maintenance issues, everything. I found a tenant buyer through a realtor. Uh I have a brother that's out there. So he was my eyes and ears. So he was able to go to the property, look look at it, took pictures, sent it to me, and I liked the way it looked. And I asked him would he lived there. He goes, Yes, definitely. Um so the realtor, he recommended. This young lady, probably in her early to mid-20s, she's a hustler. And I said, listen, this is what I want to do. I want to get me a buyer, a tenant buyer. Again, look for any anything with a credit score of under 700. But this time, I had the credit repair. I had the title company because, again, from 2017 to 2020, I was gathering some type of team, even though they might not work for me directly. But with the interviews that I've done in the podcast and with other podcasts that I listen to, I just wrote down a bunch of names, title company, mortgage broker, things like that. And we found a buyer or she found a buyer. I think it's a a married couple if I'm correct. And um, they pay me $17.50. So I'm getting $150 a month cash flow. I bought the property, if I remember, $270 and sold it for $285. So there's only a $15,000 gap and it gave me 10% down, which was... $28,000, $28,000, which is more than I've seen in years. <laughs> so, And now their term is two years. So now by next year, or in fact, by the end of this year, they have to close because I don't want to take that chance and wait another year because then I have to have an extension from the owner. And I don't want to do that because he wants to cash out right now. So I'm paying 1600 a month. I'm getting 1750 from the tenant buyers.
0: I've had different people who... Um do seller financing. Again, we had Mitch Stevens on the show a couple of months ago yeah, and they went through this whole process already. So it's, it's good to get the refresher and understanding like, okay, Mitch does it, but well, he does like thousands of properties, right? Oh my God. I know <clears throat> hundreds of properties a year. In this case, it's kind of like, all right, how do you get started? Which is really useful, very valuable for people who just want to start this kind of like um the strategy of doing seller financing with this couple though. Do they understand the situation? Like, does the seller yes. know yeah, or do yeah. they care that you're also just doing that again to someone else? Or does it not no, matter? No, the they own owner
1: didn't care because I, I explained to the owner that I'm not going to live in it. That's the first thing I told him. I said, listen, I'm, I'm an investor. I'm not going to live in it. But if anything happens, and I wrote it on, not only uh, in my credibility kit, I said, I be, uh, I'm in charge of repairs. Anything damaged, I'm taking care of it. And he was fine with that. Um, he just wanted to get out because like I said, he wanted to be closer to his family up in Georgia. And I said, sure. I listen, whatever you need. And I send them a, a check every, every month, first of the month, 16, was it 1600? I said, yeah. And the seller knows, uh, I mean the buyers, um, their credit score wasn't good. I told him that, you know, you have two years to get your credit straight. And again, that's too long. Usually the, the, how I say the uh, the suggestive is you give them one year, but for some reason I gave them to they gave me ten percent down payment. I got a fifteen thousand dollar buffer between what I bought it for and what I sold it, and then I got the hundred fifty dollars a month in in a, in a spread. And I don't touch that. I just put it away just in case. The twenty eight thousand I got for a deposit, um, I again I, I did not touch it. I have it there just in case if I need repairs. But yeah, they know that they have to close within a certain amount of time or sooner. And the goal is to cash, th- them to cash me out and then I cash out the seller and then look to do that all, all over
0: again. Got it. And what's your plans to find more leads or more deals? Same thing.
1: Uh, the realtor, I gave her a month's uh, rent as a commission and then I gave her a bonus. Um, so she's going to look, for properties for me, but the thing is though, Sean, in Orlando, uh, the owners that I try to contact or I have contacted, they really don't want to do seller finance. They want to just cash out right away. So I'm looking back in Pittsburgh. I'm going to look at Kansas City. I'm going to look at St. Louis. You know, the smaller markets, like you said, they we don't talk about uh, Memphis, Alabama, Birmingham. If your audience goes to like Realtor.com and look for fifty thousand and under, you'll see tons of properties that are available.
0: So I guess you need to find a special certain someone who's okay with seller financing. Yeah. I mean, that's all because flow, right?
1: Yeah. Because nine out of 10 are going to say no, but because again, the market is strong. Maybe we'll see a correction down the road in the next couple of months, but since the market is strong and these people are getting multiple bids on their properties, um, you know, it, it's, it's a crapshoot because you know, you, you're, you might reach to a hundred a week. And that's what I was doing. I was at least five to 20, I'm not in a hundred a week, about a hundred a month. I was reaching out to two to five sellers a day. I, I checked out rentals, any rentals that are over 30 days. And if it was by a property manager, I didn't contact them, but if it was by the owner, I would contact them and I would say, Hey, are you looking to sell your property? Would you consider selling your property? Or do you know anyone else is looking to sell their property? So I was I was contacting not only for rent by owners, but also uh, for sale by owner. And that was mostly through Zillow. A few direct mail campaigns, but I was just using online sources.
0: Got it. So I guess you're waiting for this particular one to cash you out before you go out and buy more because you don't want to over leverage yourself or in right. situations where they can't cash out and now you're in trouble with the yeah. previous owners so. then I
1: might have to ask you know for an extension you that know and uh, you know it, it's not the end of the world but I don't want to go there yet <laughs> you know so I would rather just cash out as quick
0: as possible have you had any issues so far with the strategy
1: no not yet well the only issue is trying to find more sellers that way but in terms of cash flow, any repairs, no. So far, um, I've, I've been lucky. I've been two for two. But um, it's just trying to find the seller. That's where I'm having mean, the issues because I'll, in this market, everybody just wants to get out and cash out within 30, 45 days. They don't want to wait um, 24, 36 months. Mm-hmm. And I haven't, find I'm going to be honest, besides, I'm sorry, sorry, besides just the first buyer where he was, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, the second buyer where he was motivated, the second seller. I haven't found one uh, yet. Not not that I haven't been looking, but it's it's been tough.
0: Yeah. Um, let's talk about loan servicing. So you mentioned that you use a loan servicing company to handle all of your payments, which again, is pretty useful because how annoying is it to like, you know, get the payments from someone else and then pay your other seller and all that stuff. Yeah. How, how did you find this loan servicing company in the first place? Well, the first
1: one was through a realtor. Um, there's a few of them. There's, I think it's Trust FCI. I think I'll definitely send you that information. Uh, but I just Googled it. I I just put Pittsburgh loan servicing companies. And then, um, like I said, I looked at them and I'm like, damn, I don't know what, I, I didn't know what to do, but the, but the realtor had that type of connections and he gave me the information. The second one I found myself, uh, I looked for one, I think it's, like I said, trust FCI or something like that. Again, I'll send you the information and they cover all 50 states. And I explain what, when I want to do this. They say, oh, yeah, we do that all the time. So I'm like, okay, perfect. Um, so you could just Google your city and then loan servicing company and a bunch will uh, come up. And you'll see some national ones that cover you know, all 50 states or some that cover m- mainly the East Coast or the Midwest. So they're, they're special, but they're out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I just Google them. And then, usually, depending on who they are, they might take between thirty and forty dollars a month to service the, you know, your payments. They collect it, they send the paperwork, and then from there, they send it to my uh, bank account. And every first of the month, I look and boom, it's there.
0: Nice. Um, I know we have loan servicing companies for like the hard money lending side. Like our company, we do use a um, servicing company. We generally charge the borrowers for that servicing fee. Uh, right now, are you, are you just eating it yourself? Yeah, I'm eating it myself. Got it. Well, and, maybe in the future there's an opportunity to charge.
1: Yeah, buyer. exactly. Again, that's all the learning experience that I was going through that I'm eating it myself, but I'm not going to complain for $35. But, sure. you know, um, but it does add up. You know, if you have 10 properties, all of a sudden, you know, I'm like, oh, man, that's that's a lot of money. I'm I'm selling out. So yeah, that the goal is to uh, put it back to the, um, to the tenant buyer.
0: Okay, very cool. And like you said, like no issue so far with like, these tenant buyers who are coming back to you complaining or anything like that, cause that's their property, right? If there's a roof in the, or a leak in the roof, they have to fix it. It's their house. Yeah.
1: It's their property. Um, I'm just a bank. You know, it's, not, you know, if I bought a house, I'm pretty sure bank of America is not going to go and fix my air conditioner or, or a leak in the, in the bathroom, you know, so it's, it's on me. I'm the owner. So, and they get the tax breaks. Now for me, the tax breaks are not there because, Um, It's just ordinary income, but with me having a business and, you know, using office supplies and paper, I do get to deduct some office expenses, but you know, that's, it's not like when you buy and hold where you do get, you know, you you get all the breaks for you when you're selling it, you're the bank, you you don't, you don't get that type of, uh, uh, tax break.
0: Yeah. So no depreciation for you, no no 1031 exchanges, um, that'll be them yeah. that'll
1: be the owner that'll in pittsburgh them. and the owner in uh in orlando
0: Got which it. is because fine more I'm like, okay with that yeah it's more like consistent cash flow play exactly secured by the property
1: yeah no, that's cool because if, if they don't pay you know I, i'll foreclose on them right at least on the one in pittsburgh the one in orlando i would have to try to get another tenant buyer as
0: quick as possible right makes sense yeah so let's go into your podcast peer-to-peer real estate what made you want to start a podcast in the first place? You know,
1: I it it was more of trying to network, you know, because I like networking to and, and, to events. I love going to them. I like meeting new people. And here in New York, it seems like there's one every day. Now, obviously, with the pandemic, that was done. Uh, but I did the podcast pretty much in 2017. It was more like a hobby. I would I would do interviews every few weeks, every month. But then um, when I got my first property. In September 2017, I realized, oh, my God, you know, I I, I might have something here where I could interview top industry uh, people. And when I started doing the show more and more consistent, I started getting more and more uh, really amazing guests like yourself, you know, um, that I get to learn from. We, you know, you bounce ideas off of each other just by talking. And and, and that's how I learned. That's how I learned about seller financing because I interviewed uh, three people in, I think it was 2018, 2019, give or take. They were all in creative finances. So again, I bought the book. It, uh, the guy's name is Chris Prefontaine, and I bought his book, which is called Real Estate on Your Terms. Again, it, just learning this stuff and and getting to know people, or at least talk to them. Uh, you could just pick up so much. You know, it's 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 not only uh, a networking type of situation, but it's also you learn, you know, you pick up things here and there that you might not have done. If you don't have, if you don't have a podcast, not saying you you, you're going to do it,
0: but I did learn a lot. I mean, the way I see it is kind of like taking someone to lunch, right? But usually these big real estate investors don't want to go to lunch with a newbie, right? They're like, Oh, I have more, I'm busy, but they're willing to go on a show. If you can spread their message to like hundreds or thousands of people. Oh yeah, definitely.
1: Definitely. I, and I think that's the key for them. You know, they're getting the message out. You, then you publicize their show on social media you put it on an Apple podcast, you send it right back to them. And, you know, nine out of 10 have been happy that they, you know, they were on the show. Uh, I try to always give them any type of leverage, talk about whatever you want. It's, you know, you're the guest. I'll just ask a few questions and I try to always, uh, uh format the questions or formulate the questions to their to their expertise and it's and the thing is i wanted the show to be different where i interview all types of people in the real estate industry i mean i've done talk to realtors contractors agents uh flippers uh pretty much everything in the gamut home inspector um but the thing is as you know sean you try to keep the show under a certain amount of time because you don't want to lose your listeners
0: Right, right. That's interesting. So you started your podcast before you had a property. Like before you were a real estate yeah. investor, you had a real estate investing podcast.
1: Yeah, which it should be the other way around, in my opinion. But I didn't get my first property till September twenty seventeen. I started the, the podcast in January of twenty seventeen. Yeah. So, you know, I went nine months before I bought my first property. So it was it was weird to do it, but I knew I you know, and I and I got this lesson for Warren Buffett. And I said to myself, or I heard from him, if you buy a stock, you're owning a piece of a company. So I have invested in, like I said, real estate stocks. I did one of those crowdfunding sites, Fundrise, where I put a few hundred bucks in. So I felt like, okay, at least I have that. I might not have a physical property, but I do own a piece of a business. And like I said, I, I got that from Warren Buffett. you know. And if you do, guys, if you own a, a, a stock, you are owning a piece of a business. So that was that was my uh, take on it before I got my first property. I'm like, all right, well, I do own a couple of real estate businesses. <laughs> it was yeah. hard to convince myself, but you know, I, I went
0: with that. But now you're 200 episodes deep, and it seems like you've learned a lot from having the show. Oh my what god! What would you say are some of like the key things you've learned from your guests? You know,
1: I think one was uh, if you own a, a multifamily house. Uh, one guy, his name is Eric Bolin, I think, and he said that he hired a handyman, and he and he broke down the math that he saved thousands of dollars a year by not having a property manager. So I got that idea. I'm like, wow, okay, that's that's I never thought about that. You know, you hire a handyman. Uh, second thing was um, when I interviewed Chris Prefontaine and and he sent and he sent me the book, uh, Real Estate on Your Terms. You know, I started learning more about, you know, a credibility kit, Uh, you know, form one, have seven or eight pages, uh, an about me page, uh, what my services offer. So things like that, that I learned from other people. Uh, One guy that I interviewed that was not in the real estate game, he does search engine optimization and he told me about keywords, you know, put these keywords down on your, you know, on, on, at the end of your show notes. Uh, another guy was talking about Facebook using Facebook ads. So things like that, you, you know, you realize I'm like, Oh my God, I didn't even think about that, you know, and these guys impart their knowledge, you know, basically for free, but obviously they want to get clients themselves. So that's why they go to these podcasts and, and things like that. But yeah, I mean, it's just a few things I learned, uh, pretty much from, from everybody that I, that I've interviewed. From search engine to uh, buy and hold, I got a little bit of something from them. And it, that's what it is about just gathering information and just putting it in a notebook. And that's what I did with seller financing. I just started gathering information. Okay, do I need a real estate lawyer? Okay, I just looked at the YouTube videos. Uh, I interviewed some lawyers on the show. Uh, they gave me some some pointers and, you know, I wrote it down. And that's it. I have a notebook about that thick full of notes.
0: Yeah. That's great. I mean, I feel like these podcasts are great to just like get introduced to several concepts. Like you said, you've never heard of, maybe you've never heard of SEO before, or maybe you've never heard of um, these different creative financing strategies, but by listening to podcasts, you get exposed to it. And then on your own time, you can then go into deeper research, whether that be like attending a seminar, reading a book or um, getting coaching for that particular subject.
1: Yeah. And I, and I love reading and I do. And it's funny because there's a, I, I live in New York city and there's a guy, um, that's a, a multifamily investor. So every once in a while, you know, we go to dinner or we go, we go out for a few drinks and, and I just pick his brain and he's nice enough to to give me the, all, all this information about, cause he's more of a buy and hold guy, but he, but he tells me, he shows me that, or he talks about numbers. This is what we look for. This is what we, you know, we look for this cap rate where, you know, in a multifamily house, if you see a cap rate of 5%, well, that's good. If it's under five, well, we don't make a bet on it. Again, it's all about just uh, learning. And, and for anybody, they could take someone out for dinner, you know, and, but you have to offer them something in return. Like with this guy, and his name is Angelo, and he's here in New York. What I offer, I said, listen, if you need any type of research, let me know. I'll do it for you. Uh, if you need to me to send out letters, I'll do it for you. We haven't worked together yet, but he's open to looking in other markets besides New York, because that's all he does, Sean. He's just New York, New York, New York. I said, listen, I have a contact in New Jersey, and there's multifamily houses there. Think about going to Jersey. So, again, it's just about meeting people and just offering and value, or at least your time or knowledge, whatever you
0: may have. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, you also mentioned that you work full-time now. Are you in the real estate industry at all?
1: No, no. I work in a, in a hospital here in New York City. Um, so with the full-time job, it really, what's the word I'm looking for? It stifles me because I really can't do much until I get home. Where in, you know, in a previous job, In the hospital, I did have time. You know, I would work from my office, and I could I could make phone calls or I could text people. Here, where I'm at now, I'm constantly on the go, so it's a little tougher. So I have to work. So I try to work on the real estate business from like maybe seven o'clock to like nine, at least two hours a day, Monday through Friday, and then Saturday and Sunday, I might do it from eight to twelve, so four hours each day. So you're talking maybe eighteen to twenty hours a week, which is not a lot to do, to be honest with you.
0: And so you said next year you might leave it full time and then you're going to go to real estate. Yeah, that's the goal. Okay. I, I'm
1: thinking about doing it really, you know, I start, I'm formulating a, a plan, which the, the the biggest thing, guys, if you're going to leave, it's going to be your health care. And if you have any major bills or credit card debt, you know, you got to factor that in, you know, maybe you could get a part-time job and then get into your business, but factor in all your expenses especially the varied expenses. You know, if you have electricity, one month it might be 30 bucks, the next month might be 60. So you got to check those those type of expenses out. But it's, it's, I don't think it's impossible. It's just, you got to do the math. And the biggest thing is healthcare because when you leave your job, you don't have that anymore. Right. So that's my first thing I wrote, healthcare. You know, uh, making this much per month, you know, and and, then getting rid of the, you know credit some of the credit card debt things like that you have to take that into into consideration food clothes all that there's about at least eight to ten items that you have to consider before you uh go full time
0: yeah so I mean you have 12 months to save up for that and also generate some more passive income streams so that when you leave you're you're good to go
1: exactly and that's the key that's why I want to get you know I, I want to go back at it full time like I said I try to do two hours a day and, and basically just looking at markets because when you look at a market Sean, and you know this, I live in New York City. If I'm looking at Pittsburgh or St. Louis or Kansas City, I don't know anything about those markets. So you got to have boots on the ground or try to find boots on the ground. Or, and you got to do your, your market study. Are people moving in there or are they moving out? You know, so that, you got to take that into consideration, the, people, the inflows and the outflows of, uh, of a market
0: and the price point. Well, best of luck with your new journey. So William, it was great having you on the show today. Do you have any last tips for our listeners before we end our show? Yeah. Guys,
1: pick one niche and stay with it. You do not need to be like me where you jump from niche to niche because it'll take most of your time and you're not finishing anything. Pick one niche. If you want to do wholesaling, do wholesaling. That's it. Nothing but wholesaling. Buy books, uh, listen to Sean's podcast, listen to other podcasts on wholesaling and just stay on the course. Do not waver. You know, I waver too much because, like I said, I wanted to do tax liens, tax deeds, buy and hold, fix and flip. It took me, like I said, almost 10 years until I found seller financing that that's what I wanted to do. So just pick one niche and
0: stay with it. That's great words of advice because I know a lot of people who have that shiny object syndrome where they first want to get into wholesaling. Then they think flipping is better. Then they think multifamily is better. By bouncing back and forth, they never really gain any real traction. And they might do a few deals here and there, but... Real estate investing is very much an exponential game. Yeah, like true. As you do it more and more, you get better contacts, get better pricing, and you just do better in your business overall. So pick something yeah. you like. Every strategy works, right? Everyone is successful in these niches. Pick the one you like the most, and then just go with it.
1: Yeah, I mean it, it's it's not hard. I mean I think it, it, and and now the education's there. Like I said, you listen to Sean's podcast, so any other podcast, uh, YouTube videos, and just you know if you're going to pick wholesaling, then stay with wholesaling. Learn the rules, you know the state rules, because now there are states that are I won't say outlawing uh, um, uh, wholesaling. But for some, I think it's Pennsylvania and Illinois that you might need a license or you're going to have to work with a realtor that has the license. You know, it will cut into your pie. But, it's, but if you want to go to those markets, at least know those markets and why, you know, they're doing it. Why are they are going to, you know, possibly have you get a license? And it's not the end of the world. It's not the end of the world. Like I said, just um, um, pick someone that, that can help
0: you. Nice. So William, where can people find out more about you?
1: Uh, They can go to -to peer2peerrealestate.com. That's peer to number two, peerrealestate.com. We have blogs there and check out our past shows. And I'm also on Apple Podcasts, which is a peer-to-peer real
0: estate podcast. Awesome. Well, William, thanks again for coming on the show and sharing your experiences so far. Uh, It's a pleasure having you on.
1: Well, listen, Sean, thank you so much. I love what you're doing and people listen to the show. (laughs) Thank you, Sean. I really, really appreciate it.
0: I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find the show notes and other episodes on our site, everythingrei.com slash podcast. If you live in the Bay Area, join our meetup group where we meet up twice a month in San Jose at meetup.com slash everythingrei. And if you thought this was a great episode, let me know what your key takeaway was and share it with a friend who's interested in real estate investing. Thanks and have a great day. This was another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star rating. It will only take a second and it'll help a lot. You can contact me at sean at everythingrei.com. That's S-E-A-N at everythingrei.com. Thanks and have a great day.